fact that the 2016 Janet Yellen said that we'll never really have a recession in our lives again, or I'm paraphrasing, if you will. I believe that ship has sailed. You know, last summer, uh, we hit the recession definition and everybody just decided to change the definition of recession. So what, what has astounded me as I've done the deep dive on all this stuff is I, I get amazed every single day how these people are so skilled at kicking the can down the road. I just, I, I, they change the rules um, as they go. Um, if every if anybody thinks there's some sort of grandmaster chess getting played here, it's not. What was it? The last couple of weekends or so, they were kind of making things up as they went on Sundays. If you think about the U.S. dollar, if you will, in a grander sense of things, it has to do with full faith and credit. And I believe what you're seeing now is a, a lot of people losing a lot of full faith and credit when they're making stuff up as they go. So, right. I mean, I think they're doing themselves a discredit a lot, but what what else can they do? When you're 32 trillion in debt and no one is stopping the spending, what else can you do here? Welcome to another RTD interview. Today, I'm excited to have returning guest, Mr. Nate Fisher. Nate is an IT manager for large Department of Defense contractors with a degree in cybersecurity and business administration. And today, he's joined us to share his thoughts on the economy precious metals, as well as the tokenization of metals using a blockchain. And he's also a blogger who does a great job over at renaissancemen.org. So definitely check him out. But Nate, how are you doing, my friend? Doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent, man. Excited to connect up with you and uh, to get your thoughts on where we're at, where we're going, and as well as opportunities out here, especially with your background and the technology realm. I know it brings a unique perspective that I'm definitely looking forward to diving into. And uh, before we dive into uh, more of that, for those who may not be familiar with you or didn't have a chance to watch our previous interview that did you know, very well amongst community members, give us a little bit of your background beyond what I just mentioned and when I briefly bio there. So by trade, I am an IT manager um, for a large contract, been doing that for a better part of 27 years. But uh, relevant to the discussion we're going to have today, I, I have a background uh, within cybersecurity uh, and an MBA, but uh, more more than anything, I'm very uh, obsessed with a lot of different uh, academic, um, uh, a lot of different kind of academic backgrounds, if you will. So I, around t 2019 or so, I took a real huge dive into gold and silver, uh, problems with the repo market and the like. I just went headfirst in studying four or five, six hours a day. And uh, anyway, um, I, I kind of talk about this as like my fourth or fifth graduate degree as, as far as how I've studied it over the last few years. So uh, I'm not going to pretend I'm an industry insider for anyone listening to this here. So um, my background also, as well as I do a ton of writing. Um, so you're going to see a lot of uh, my academic um, background coming into my writing here. So I have ridiculous amounts of theories I, I write about, and some of them we're going to try and cover today. Sounds good. Well, appreciate you for sharing that. And so definitely, yeah. So just from your recent uh, writings on your, in your blog there, you did a great job touching on some very hot topics that we're going to touch on here, as well as you're going to take us down a little bit of a deep dive with some presentation visual aids. So I'm definitely a big fan of that. And so before we move forward, uh, I guess, what are some things that you're keeping an eye on uh, in the global economy, financial markets that, you know, excite you, concern you, or things you're really dialed in on right now? Well, unfortunately, some of the things that concern me are also the same things that kind of excite me a little bit. Uh, and I say that because I just mentioned the repo market issue, but what that kind of did was kind of get me thinking, oh my God, um, what's going to happen to the real estate, uh, the real estate I have. So I am a, a small business owner in a sense where I have some rental units that uh, 
that I rent out. And my, my concern was, well, what's going to happen uh, if the housing market goes down again? Am I going to lose everything? So uh popped in the big short, started watching Michael Burry and all this other fun stuff. And uh, you start going down this rabbit hole of how can I, how can I protect what I have? Uh, what kind of hedge, what kind of, what kind of danger do we have right now? So I felt like uh, the increasing debt, um, no one can get elected ever again in this country by trying to promise to reduce deficit, uh, reduce the debt. Um, everyone has to pander to someone. And with that, you have debt that's going to spiral out of control. So what that promises you is almost a certainty that um, the, the currency is going to be debauched beyond all uh, comprehension. So what I did was I set up a massive play more or less to play that short on the value of the US dollar. So as much as it concerns me, I also kind of sleep well at night right now because if I wake up to any kind of danger, my portfolio <laughs> kind of goes through the roof. So um, yeah, that I've been doing a lot of conversations like this, a lot of writings like this to try and get the word out on on precious metals and and, and means of investing in them. So that's kind of where I've been coming from these days. Right now, the short you're, you're you're referring to, you having set up to, I guess you know, better diversify and protect yourself. Assuming that's leading into the precious metal space as well as is is, is well, opportunities there, or what? Or what exactly? If you don't mind sharing with us. Well, it mostly. Uh, so I did a, a video on another channel a couple of weeks ago about how to layer your precious metals um, uh, portfolio, if you will. So a lot of people think about you know if you don't own it, uh, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. Well, that starts to become a little bit of a problem when you start getting some in size, if you will. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you start realizing the security issues. And then you start looking at, well, what about the precious metals miners? What about vaulting? What about um, digital currencies backed by gold? Uh, what about those types of things? So I, I laid out something where it talked about different ways that you could invest in a lot of different areas. And and if you think about a certainty, I, I have something with the slide coming up down the road, but I'll, I'll preview it is if you think about, uh, you know, 100 years ago, you put a $20 bill uh, with that orange seal, you put that in a vault with a 20, uh, with a one ounce piece of gold 100 years ago, they were equal value. And you open up that vault today, and that piece of gold is now worth $2,000. Well, you know, most people are thinking, oh, my God, the gold went up in value. But no one's really ever thinking about the inverse, about how the currency has been debased by 100, by 90 percent or the like. So, I mean, the same can be said with the real estate, with stocks and all that stuff. Over a period of time, uh, the currency gets debauched and debased even more and more and more. And now you see the debt that is just piling up. And, you know, we were talking beforehand about the the some of the 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 uh, ceilings and the like that that may be coming, but there's just no there's no stopping of spending right now. So for from where I'm coming from, um, and I'll get into inflation and all that later, but uh, I see precious metals as kind of an inevitable play, not necessarily imminent. Mm, interesting point there. Now, of course, the debt ceiling. So this upcoming summer is going to be a very interesting time frame because there's more talk about the U.S. default. And so I've been covering this subject matter for quite some time now, going through, you know, several different defaults, but or that ceiling where they ultimately heighten. You mentioned they can't stop basically what they're doing. So what, in your opinion, is anything different now about this current environment, given the, given the debt load, the global events happening without what's happening out east and all the narratives of bricks and stuff like that? Is anything different this current moment from what you're feeling? Or I don't I don't see it. I, I don't. I think it's all political theater at this point. I think there's a reason for the debt limit. 
And I think no matter who is in power, you don't want that party dominating the other party and spending them into oblivion. So I think it does provide a good check and balance for the other party, whoever it is, to try and control the spending and keep it from going out of control. Because if you had the party in power all the time that could just uh, write blank checks to their constituents, they will always stay in power. So the other party has to be able to limit the spending, uh, if you will, so they can all agree upon it. But that ship has sailed a decade ago, if you will. Now it's political grandstanding for what they can get for their constituents if they raise raise the debt limit. So I don't see a default as far as them not paying their bills, but the default is how everyone else is saying is that they will just continue to debase the currency. And that's the other way of you're, you're defaulting. So uh, again, uh, even if they don't pay their bills in either way, you're looking at precious metals going up. So again, it, all of these roads end up, you know, pointing to gold in some way, shape or form. All right. Now I'm curious to get your thoughts about how we apparently the narrative coming out of the uh, Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell and the like, the committee of people who are who have been chosen to handle monetary policy on behalf of you and I. <laughs> uh, before, there was no signs of recession. Now, after this Fed meeting just came out this past week or was released, they talked about a mild recession sometime at the end of this <laughs> year. So what, in your opinion, what has changed in their perspective and how much of this banking situation that is still brewing as well as the threat of commercial real estate also coming to a halt at some point is those are some of the things they might see as their version of a mild recession and will it be mild or what can we expect beyond you know mild well the fact that i mean was it 2016 janet yellen said that we'll never really have a recession in our lives again or i'm paraphrasing if you will so uh i believe that ship has sailed i think you know last summer uh, we hit the recession definition and everybody just decided to change the definition of recession. So what what has astounded me as I've done the deep dive on all this stuff is I, I get amazed every single day how these people are are much they're so skilled at kicking the can down the road. I just I, I they change the rules um, as they go. Um, if every if anybody thinks there's some sort of grandmaster chess getting played here, it's not. Um, they're, you know, what was it the last couple of weekends or so they were kind of making things up as they went on Sundays, changing right. rules, inventing this, uh, and, and each iteration of this, it seems like they're just kind of, um, making it up as they go. And I think if you think about the U S dollar, if you will, in a grander sense of, um, things, it has to do with full faith and credit. And I believe what you're seeing now is a, a lot of people losing a lot of, full faith and credit when they're making stuff up as they go. So, I mean, I think they're doing themselves a discredit a lot, but what, what else can they do when you're 32 trillion in debt and no one is stopping the spending? Um, what else can you do here? I mean, you've interviewed a ton, a ton of people here. What, what do you, what do you think about where this is going? I think uh, they've been stalling for quite some time now. The inevitable is in, in front of us, and it happens to be around the monetary shift away from Federal Reserve liabilities, ultimately speaking, because of the weaponization of the dollar. And so I've been kind of paying a lot of attention to the movements out east with just the surface information we're getting on the BRICS development. And the, the, the noise is becoming, is getting louder in reference to other countries being very uh, vocal in their I guess, displeasure with the U.S. and their role in, you know, local affairs outside of the U.S., as well as just the debt loads that they've been 
forced to take on through IMF and BIS and all those institutions from the West. And, you know, the fact when you have all these currency swaps and bilateral deals and all these <laughs> memorandums of agreements being done away from USD terms, it's like, OK, well, they're not afraid no more to be vocal and say, hey, the dollar's done. And then just recently with the Brazilian uh, president and uh, G meeting and him basically saying that, why are we still using the dollar amongst ourselves type of type of narrative? Mm -hmm. And so that, that would have never happened 10 years ago. You know, when, when, when it's happened 20 years ago with Gaddafi and Saddam, we know what happened as a result of that. So now the world's not afraid. And so now it's a matter of are they playing? Are they trying to are they trying to prepare us for that next level of a distraction? And so we had a previous distraction, which happens to be a health situation, because that came about right after the, <laughs> uh, the repo market. So in September 2019, yeah. then we had a health scare, rallied the troops, banks, you know, profits went through the roof. All this extra currency came into existence. Here we are now. Things are fizzling out. There's not as much discretionary spending amongst the consumers. Credit cards, all, so all these problems are here. So I'm, a, I'm under impression that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another event so, sometime so soon. Yeah, something else to add to that. Um, you also touched on the commercial real estate. Now, that was something I've been writing about for quite some time. I actually wrote about this summer of 2020. Uh, remember, I said about kicking the can down the road. I, I figured with COVID and all these buildings shutting down and all these people going home that all this commercial real estate would just blow up, right? Well, a, a funny thing happened. Um, all these big companies figured out how to do telework. Now, obviously, if you're, you're, if you're serving food in a bar, that, that doesn't work. But in my type of fields in working in IT, um, in a lot of different fields, you, I mean, you would have like Merrill Lynch had something like 97% of their employees working from home during COVID. And you got to start to think of yourself here. Hey, I'm in Manhattan. I'm paying ridiculous amounts per square foot. I don't know what it is, but it's probably ridiculous. Um, and most of my workforce can work from home. So why do I need this expensive office building uh, downtown? Now, I believe uh, you also talked about the recessions here. Now, I went through the recession in 2001 and 2008, where I lost my job both times, essentially, in IT. So for people today that are, you know, the millennial generation, if you will, none of them have actually seen recession. I mean, they've they've had it tough at times, but they've never seen what it's like, you know, 8%, uh, you know, unemployment, if you will. I know COVID was, was a struggle for a lot, but I don't think they've ever even gone through a recession. And, and with that, uh, I think that perspective here, um, you know, you run into a situation where it's like, uh, what else can go wrong now? Um, with the with the potential recession right now, you're looking at all this office building. Um, they're gonna they're gonna be vacant. I I don't think that unemployment is gonna go up right away. I think the issue is is that a lot of these companies are cashed up and they want to hold on to their employees as long as they can. And I think first they're gonna get rid of a lot of the commercial real estate because if you're gonna lay off a whole you know, a bunch of your workforce, you're going to have a bunch of empty real estate anyway. Mm -hmm. So why not get rid of the real estate first, go to a lot more teleworking. Um, and then, so that I think is also going to mask the the damage to the economy for quite some time yet. You're going to see this 4% uh, unemployment, but all this commercial real estate is going to go, <laughs> it's going to go belly up. And I believe at some point down the road, you're going to start to see five, six, 7% unemployment, but not right away. And I think that's going to mask the problem. They're going to be like, oh, my God, it's only 3.7% unemployment. Yeah. There's not a problem there. Meanwhile, all this commercial real estate is going belly up. That's even if you 
still give some credibility towards those figures we've been given. Like I've stopped believing <laughs> yeah. in the figures coming out of, you know, the BIA or the, the, all those agencies because they are slanted to favor the current kicking of the can down the road, as you mentioned earlier, but to the commercial real estate um, with all the major metropolitan areas right now, I think I saw some article recently, you said 20 to 30% of the majority of the uh, commercial real estate is, is vacant. And I'm assuming at some point they're already, they're already not performing as far as them debts being met or obligations being met. So this cascading events that will come about from that, because a lot of stuff is packaged up as somebody's asset in a portfolio somewhere, yeah. their pension fund is holding on to. And even we have European and foreign investors and also investing in this. So the dominoes will probably fall so fast unless the federal reserve comes in and backstops and create another special vehicle to, to house all that mortgage in the, the, the commercial mortgage backed security relief fund. And you know, so they can try to paper over, but I the just, damage is going to be massive. I saw something funny the other day. Somebody made a comment on this. So I'm going to keep this very high level, but I saw something that uh, a particularly large hedge fund that uh, owns a lot of this commercial real estate has packaged it up and essentially sold it to pension funds, uh, teachers pension funds. So wow. think about this for a second. If you're this hedge fund and all this commercial real estate blows up, no one's bailing you out. But if you then send this over to the pension funds, you get out. No one's going to let a teacher pension fund go down. So right now, I believe there's a lot of scurrying of the cockroaches and the rats. And I think there's a lot of things getting untangled behind the scenes right now um, because that will get bailed out. The teacher's pension fund will get bailed out. But you know that that large hedge fund, which I will not name, Right. will not get bailed out. So mm. that that those types of things take a look at that in the background. Right. So basically shifting a lot of those bad loans and all those gambling mechanisms they've created over the last <laughs> few years as investment vehicles, you shuffle yep. them onto the books of these systemically important institutions, i.e. government-based programs and then the government can step in and save the day because it's mandatory. It's national security type of issue where we got to protect our own. Okay, well, that's, that remember, makes sense. Remember, a lot of these pension funds, they legally cannot default on them. So mm -hmm. the question then is, okay, well, if you bail them out for billions upon billions of dollars, again, you're more debasing the currency. So if you have this pension, it's supposed to pay you $3,000 a month. Mm -hmm. You know, that might be a good living wage if you're retired and, you know, 70 or whatever. But think about you know, five, 10 years down the road, if that $3,000 is debased into nothing, that $3,000 might get you groceries for the month. So right. you may, again, that's a default by not paying, but it's a default with inflation. Uh, and all they'll make their, they'll make the, the payments. It just, mm -hmm. the currency won't be worth anything. All right. Good point. Now, moving forward into this Later, latter, latter part of the year where economic times mm -hmm. are supposed to be tough, given the fact the Fed admitted that there would be a mild recession. Okay, I'm anticipating something a lot worse than mild. I think we've been in a <laughs> recessionary environment this entire decade since the great financial crisis with the papering over of the system. And so now, you know, here we are to reap the, reap the, the consequences for, from their actions at this current moment. But as a result of that, the narrative of a central bank digital currency has become widespread. Everybody and their mother is talking about it. Even more people that's not included or not even attentive to monetary and financial policies are starting to pick up this narrative. And so is there any way of preventing or stopping the central bank digital currency? And is it necessarily all going to be all bad or is there any goods or is, cause I'm not a fan for, it. I think it's just a rebranding of the currency to cover up what they wouldn't want to put out there in paper form during a hyperinflationary type of environment. So it's a cover up 
And it's also something they can control. They can limit the elasticity of how much is out there and when they need to bring it back. So that's just my little small little beat. What are you thinking? Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'll tell you that the CBDC, I've written about that a lot. I've written about the good and the bad of it. Now, a lot of people have not seen what I've written about the good side of it. Obviously, it's a it's a really good tax revenue uh, situation because any exchange ever, you can get your beak wet off of, off of it. And I, I felt that if it was done in some sort of federated manner where privacy is protected, you know, if the big banks, if you will, were running this with a federated system, if you will, again, I'm using some IT speak here. And if this was protected from the government side of things, then I think that could work. It's not going to happen like that, though. And that's where the scariness comes, because let's just say for argument's sake, you know, whoever is running um, the country at the time is based on different political views than yourself. Okay. Um, I'll be agnostic to that here. Uh, whoever's running the country says you have to do A, B, and C. And if you don't do A, B, and C, we're going to turn off your digital wallet. Done. And we saw kind of that a little bit with the truckers up in Canada, where if people were going against a certain type of policy, they financially went to war with them. And a CBDC would just pretty much be instant to turn off someone with no recourse. Um, so there are some scary sides to that. And you know, I think you're touching on one of the theories I wrote about where I think that it's very possible. Um, no one's voted for a CBDC at all. Uh, so I believe you have, you know, certain political um, candidates that are campaigning for, hey, let's make sure that this doesn't happen. And and whether or not they win or not is to be seen. But the truth be told, a lot of people don't even know what in God's earth it is. So they're like, oh, whatever. But you know, we have this fun thing called the Constitution that basically says nothing but gold or silver should be money. And I'm paraphrasing because of the way they, they wrote back then. But um, the point is, is that they slowly stepped away from that over 200 some years. Uh, and there was this transition. I mean, you had the $20 bill for an ounce of gold. And then, well, you know, let's do the, the Federal Reserve. Uh, let's let's depeg the dollar. Let's do. And it was a slow thing. It was death by a thousand paper cuts. And now they're at this place where they're like, hey, we can do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you in the next five to 10 years, if this CBDC comes to play, I think that the Constitution is going to come back into play here. Uh, I believe that you're going to start to see uh, at the very least, this is going to be potentially unconstitutional to do. Um, but that being said is, I mean, they're hiring 80,000 more IRS agents and they're not doing that to, you know, they're not doing that to shuffle papers around. They're doing that to collect more revenue. All of us potentially can see, Hey, maybe we should slow down in spending, but their solution here is to let's increase our revenues. So what do you think? I think the CBDCs are, I believe it's a revenue grabbing mechanism. Um, and it also can be a compliance mechanism. Say what you will about the VAX, if you will. But had you not complied to it and the CBDC was there, they could turn off your wallet if you didn't comply. Right. No right. recourse. So what do you think about it? Isn't it kind of like a tax grabbing mechanism here? Yes. And I think it's a lot bigger than that. And so the currency side of things is just one play of day to day interaction or interaction as well as involvement in our lives because they can see eventually down the line, they'll be able to see what and how, where and when with who you spent. But then you factor in just mm. the old digital identification as well as the health passport situation that was also trying to be pushed. So there's three or four or five different factors that I think is all included in the Agenda 2030. 
which happens to be formulated or coming from the War Economic Forum and all that other stuff there, which a lot of people would say, would have said it was a complete conspiracy, you know, three years ago. But after all this information has come out and you actually get quotes from Charles Schwab and all of his, you know, constituents or whatever you want to call them, saying what they would like to see for this future that they had envisioned for humanity. And it has nothing to do with freedom. And it's all in some form of fashion, it all boils back down to utilizing software in some capacity to track, control, track and trace mankind in real time. And it is the ultimate form of a digital enslavement system that we could have never imagined. But going back into history, we've been seeing signs of this type of stuff throughout history with just the, you know, just con controlling humanity to the point where they put us in small little units and subdivisions and cities and all the things that we've been con conditioned and groomed to participate in now. This is the digital takeover of that, I think. So it goes a lot darker and deeper than I tend to try to talk about just because I hope it fails. But then again, it doesn't surprise me at all as this stuff comes out. So it's just more so what can we do with it? Because the, the technology is great if used to provide freedom and opportunities. But unfortunately, it's being put in the hands of people who I think mean us harm overall in the long run. So that's just my two cents on that. And the thing is, they may not even see it in the form of harm. And mm -hmm. that's where you get a little bit on on the outskirts of this, because the people that are doing it might actually just be diehard believers in something. Mm -hmm. And this is just a form of compliance to that diehard believing whatever your 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 philosophy is far left far right center whatever right. it is and whoever gets this power can then have this form of compliance mm -hmm. and i think you're right i mean that is just a very scary uh way to go about it and then, like i said i mean there is a technical way of getting it to work where you mm -hmm. have a federated system where you have like a banking system that has your identities that are tied to the transactions and then the government with perhaps a, a court um, warrant can then inspect data, but the mm -hmm. government would not be able to look at this data real time. They would need to have some sort of probable cause. Right. But as we saw with the Patriot Act, a lot of these things can just get abused and, you know, people can just kind of, you know, get a judge that they are friendly to things and, and, and trample our privacy. And that's another thing in cybersecurity. A lot of people don't realize because mm -hmm. there's a huge aspect of privacy that a lot of people um, don't, don't account in with cybersecurity. Everybody thinks of like, you know, viruses and the like, but, um, you know, thinking you, you were just talking about like, you know, if you, maybe you um, donate to a certain political campaign, that's private. That's between you and, you know, your, your campaign you're donating for. And you don't want opposition, you know, identifying who and what neighborhood is voting for who based off of their political donation. So it's a, it's a rabbit hole. That's, that's pretty scary to go down. Right. But it's interesting. You mentioned Patriot Act. That was 20 plus years ago. And the same rules and regulations and restrictions apply today. TSA, body checks, body scans, all that surveillance stuff was set up then. And then now we got the Restrict Act, which is on the books and might be pushed forward. And that deals directly. I think I haven't dived into it too deep, but it deals directly with and into the social media sphere with software and computer pros and, and all types of things where I thought some computer codes was a self-expression of speech ultimately. But it looks like that might be on the books to be something they want to also maneuver around as well. So if it passes, it's just more of the, them clamping down on humanity and them being able to say say what we can and can do, even to the point where they're trying to say what kind of type of code you can use or what kind of so software platforms you can use to say what you want to say. So that's very concerning to me as well.
Well, I, I think with that, uh, I, I don't know a lot about what you're talking about there. I do know that um, TikTok was part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the big part of that is there's, there's a lot underneath that uh, that people aren't aware of. There, there's, a, there's a huge element of spying there that people on the back mm -hmm. end of that have even admitted to. Uh, so with that, you know, there were, there were stories when I was going through my, my grad school stuff, there were stories of like, you would have a certain country being able to turn on a camera in, in a classified area or, or something or, um, in, in a restricted area. And they could listen in real time to what's going on because they controlled the hardware that was on mm -hmm. the system, uh, shipped out of their country and they could backdoor everything. So, um, privacy is a big thing. And like with TikTok there, um, that is one in particular I know about, and I understand why they would want to kind of control that because, mm -hmm. you know, everyone puts this on their phone as very benign, but on the back end, it's big time data mining that they can right. get. So right. think about this. If you do work, you know, in a government area, um, for argument's sake, and you know, your kid has TikTok and, and TikTok allows, you know, to, to listen, to listen in on things and, and, and know your locations and everything. I mean, there's a lot of implications there that if a, a national uh, entity is is monitoring all of this information, it, it, yeah, I, I, so I can see why that particular piece of software would be a problem. Yeah, I just think that TikTok is being used as the entry point to a much broader topic of software in general, apps in general. If it's not government censored, government controlled, if we don't have a special branch of the government that deals with communication through these gateways we can't see track and trace for our own national security sake so we need to open things up and of course i believe there's back doors and pretty much everything that's been put out there that's why part of it is free because they use it for data mining and things <laughs> like that so it's not free for just just because they want to just you know give us something to use for our own benefit but uh, i was very skeptical of tiktok when i attempted to you know um download it and the permissions was like three pages long and i'm like well, I know. Thank you. Cause it was obvious at that point for me, but most people, they don't really care, care about that stuff. But um, so speaking of which precious metals, let's just up on that. Uh, and so from a technical standpoint, there is ways of utilizing that asset class and modernizing it to a standpoint where here we are today, computer software, blockchain network is really big. And so there's a lot of opportunity in that as well for people to have actual physical and, you know, more so the layers you were just mentioning earlier, and so share with us your thoughts on precious metals and utilizing some of this technology for good, rather. Well, I'm going to save more of my talk for that, for what we're going to get to later, just because there's a buildup to get there. Okay. Uh, a lot of people right now thinking uh, precious metals, blockchain, and all of a sudden they're thinking, uh, you know, some sort of exchange that's a crypto exchange and it's they're going to take all my billions and blah, blah, blah. So there's not a lot of trust right now when you're talking about it at that level. So uh, if you don't mind, it is now a good time to kind of go into uh, yeah, so free. Into that. Yeah, yeah so I'm going to I'm going to segue into that in a little bit. But for now, uh, let's go into. OK, I think you have it now. OK, yeah. so uh, I'm going to go in a couple of things here. Uh, like I said, monetary inflation was something I wanted to kind of go over, which which flows into where we're getting to. There's three asset classes. Gold is the center of the financial universe. There's a big impact with that. Um, I believe there's a way that uh, gold is going to be backing the future BRICS exchanges, which then leads to uh, the gold-backed digital currency. So uh, if you have any questions here, feel free to you know stop me along the way. But the big picture with monetary inflation here, 
as I talked earlier about the the gold in the vault uh, about a hundred years ago, uh, mm -hmm. the big picture here is that this money it keeps coming into the system and into the system and it sloshes around and it sloshes everywhere and it goes to uh, stocks at one point and then it goes to um, housing at another point goes to it goes all over the place but we see this uh, as inflation now. I put this together. Can you see? Yeah, you can see this. Uh, the um, the chart I did here where this monetary inflation, this is kind of how it comes into the system where it's borrowed into existence. So the, I, I kind of put this here at the start of it because when money is easy to borrow, let's just say you have you know 2% mortgages, people are going to run out and buy houses at 2%. Well, what happens then is that money becomes relatively cheap and you start to bid up the houses. You start getting asset inflation. Uh, all of the people that need that are needed to build the houses, you're going to start to have wage inflation. They're going to be competing for workers. Uh, and likewise, you're going to be assembling all this stuff and building all this stuff out. You're going to need energy for the factory. So a lot of this stuff, though, happens to be controlled where a country might have your energy policies or resource extraction policies. And those are your dials and, and, and the bells and whistles, if you will. And then the consumer sees this as price inflation. So if there's certain policies that that happened in 2010, 2011, that kept a lot of that monetary inflation from coming into the system, so be it. But they didn't do that with COVID. They just blasted this out to Joe Sixpack. And this is kind of what a lot of people aren't seeing. Um, they Because of you know, 2011, uh, 2010, we didn't see that inflation that was anticipated. So they said, okay, well, we can now do this forever and we're not going to get inflation. Well, they didn't keep it to the banking system this time. So that was kind of the big thing that's happening right now is to keep all of our, uh, the, all of the money that's being borrowed into the system, all the debt that's happening is going to now be inflating things faster and faster. And where that gold and the $20 bill I was talking about above that took a hundred years, those types of moves might now happen in five or 10 years. Just because of the amount of debt and 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 monetary um, creation that is that is happening to debase and debauch the currency. Yeah. So, with that, um, I mentioned they slosh around into different areas, and this is important because this is going to be telling you why it's going to be going to precious metals. But, um, so I think that there's three big asset classes now. This is kind of based a little bit off of what Mike Maloney had talked about with his wealth cycles. Um, but Mike talks about money as gold. And I talk about in the form of commodities, uh, where that Zoltan Pozar had said, commodities are collateral and collateral is money. Mm -hmm. I've been writing about this for years. But in, in reality here, money is an asset class here uh, with commodities. So you also have business. And this is anything that is kind of yield bearing. Uh, so you can take money from a commodity and put it into uh, perhaps bonds or uh, stocks. Um, mm -hmm. And then likewise, you have the third asset class, which Mike used to, Mike was talking about homes, but I call it all of property because when times are good, you tend to be buying more things. Right. Um, and then when times are tough, you're not buying, you're, you know, maybe you're even selling these things and liquidating them for other stuff. So money will flow around these three asset classes. And then what happens is this currency is when you sell things is this, mm -hmm. this currency is what you saw in the safe. That's what was debasing over the course of that hundred years. So the right. longer you hold current financial energy in this state, the more it turns to nothing. 
So you have to put this currency into one of these three asset classes. So what we've seen was, was that NASDAQ went up 16 times between 2009 and 2022, 16X. You've also seen houses uh, come up significantly from 2013. And what my, my, my bet here was is that a lot of money is going to roll from the stock market into precious metals here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a lot more built out in, in that theory as well, but that leads into gold is the center of the universe, uh, the financial universe. And, you know, only in the last, you know, 50 years or so, since we went off of, uh, the gold standard in, in 1971, only since then, um, have things really, um, taken a turn for its worse, uh, taken a turn for the worse here. Now I had uh, a graphic here that before we, uh, before we hit record that it worked very well and it's not right now, mm-hmm. but the heliocentric is the, the concept of the planets going around the sun. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that is a very uniform circular motion. Okay. That is a natural state of order. And the geocentric way of thinking of things is when you're, when, when you're back, you know, 5,000 years ago, the sun and everything went around you. And mm-hmm. The concept here was that heliocentric is gold and everything is related to gold over the last 5,000 years. Whereas the geocentric is when we say, hey, we're going to we're going to value things in U.S. dollars. Well, if you value things in U.S. dollars, think about what the value of U.S. dollars was 20, 30 years ago. It's different than what it is today. But if you think about what gold was over the last so many hundreds of years, you could have, you know, one one ounce of gold is a man's fine suit. And that's the, the the relative value of that doesn't change. Now there are ways that this goes and, and oscillates. Um, and and one of the examples here was I looked at back uh, oil. It's approximately uh, 1.2 grams of gold per barrel over the last 90 years or so. And again, that varied. I'm not talking about in the day to day. I'm talking like right. a monthly close because there's right. variations that happen. Um, so it's talking about a relative value. And when you look at this, you see how it translates into market cycles, the oil to gold relationship. Now, if things start, you know, and this, this can be gold to copper, could be uh, gold to silver, can be whatever relationships you want with these commodities, they mm-hmm. all have relative relationships. And the US dollar kind of just puts noise in there. It's not, gold is what all of these things should be based off of. And I believe that's where we're going to be going to with the gold mm-hmm. to the BRICS exchanges. And I think, that is where this all comes to be. Because when I started this, I'm thinking, hey, we should have a gold standard again. No, no. I I, I really am convinced that's done with. However, right. gold is the money of kings, as they say, right? And I believe how this is going to come to be again is that at the, uh, I, I believe that right now, the US dollar has been used to kind of, you know, weaponize our policy to the world. Um, whether you agree with it or not, we have been the first society that has so-called weaponized uh, a, um, uh, a reserve currency. And with that, I believe the rest of the world in the last couple of years is kind of like, yeah, we're done with this. So they can't just go out and get rid of all their treasuries tomorrow. But you can start to see China's been bringing them down. Saudi Arabia's has been bringing them down. Even even Japan's been you know selling off a bunch of them to defend the yen recently. So right. I believe that gold is going to become uh, come back into play here because it's going to prevent any one fiat currency from ever dominating again. 
And it's not that it's going to be, you know, you're going to be taking an ounce of gold to go buy a loaf of bread. I'll get to how we can spend it later. Mm -hmm. But where I can see this going is that, say, let's say these BRICS exchanges get stood up, whether it's Shanghai, whether it's uh, India, one of these exchanges could be stood up where they have gold pricing for all these commodities. And I believe this is the universal translator. So we have stuff on the exchange. You bring your gold. So the th the thinking is it's our stuff, your gold problem. I don't want your fiat. I don't care about your yuan. I don't care about your SETI. I don't care about your US dollars. You bring me gold. How you get that gold is your problem. So mm -hmm. I believe that's where it's going. And, and there was this wonderful, amazing thing I thought that Ghana did uh, a couple months ago where they forced their gold miners to sell them 20% of their gold in SETI. Okay. Now I heard the gold bugs out there, whatever, this is nationalization. This is a, no, Ghana basically said, I don't want to get us dollars anymore. You're going to take my currency. You can pay your workers that are here in Ghana in this currency, take it or leave it. And they're taking it and they take the other 80% and they sell it wherever they want. But this mm -hmm. then allows all these nations to then have access to, you know, these commodities and then they can take gold or whatever and exchange it for oil. And they don't need U.S. dollars to do it. And I believe that is going to be the model a lot of countries are going to do because you don't need to nationalize a mine. Think about this. If you were Venezuela, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and you go and you go and nationalize things. All these people that had all these experts that knew how to do this all left. Mm -hmm. And then the country is left with a bunch of government bureaucrats that don't know how to drill oil. So there are models in history that show you, hey, this is not good to do because then no one's ever going to invest in your country again. And all the right. experts that were there are going to leave. So I believe that you're going to have a lot of these situations where people that have gold and silver all over the world, these governments uh, are going to probably have local tastes to it because they're going to be able to use this stuff then on exchanges. So right. it's a way for like Ghana as well to stabilize their currency. They had a, a, a lot of high inflation because they're selling their SETI in order to get dollars. They don't need to do that anymore. So uh, I, I believe that will stabilize a lot of countries' inflation. Um, so, so that's kind of where I think that's going. Um, it, it, it can also, like I said, you would have a lot of history here where you could see like gold to oil, right? Mm -hmm. So you could see oil, for argument's sake, priced at 1.2 grams uh, per gold on that on that exchange. So countries will want to get oil, they bring in their gold, but how do they do it? Okay. And that's kind of where we're going to the next thing here. So I had called this asset-backed digital currencies, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, but I'm going to mostly focus on gold here. Mm -hmm. um, right now you have certain companies that have this privately in vaults or whatever, but I believe countries are going to be able to start doing this to buy these commodities. So for argument's sake, you buy into uh, an exchange with gold. You deposit it in your local uh, your local exchanges, okay? And then you're credited this digital currency that is related to gold. And then you can spend this digital currency to buy your oil, to buy your wheat, to buy whatever. And I believe that is going to be the universal currency uh, of a lot of these exchanges. So the asset-backed digital currencies, okay? Um, big Big picture here is... Um, most people think of digital currencies, they think of Bitcoin, you think of Ethereum, all that other kind of fun stuff. Well, for me, I believe the big problem with that is it's a ledger with no assets. 
Now, a lot of people will say, um, well, gold, what do you do? You take and you stick in the ground and you can't spend it. You can't take an ounce of gold and, and buy a loaf of bread with it. So both of them have weaknesses. Um, but what if they were merged together? Now, people will talk about, well, why don't you just put this stuff on a database? Well, that's all proprietary. It's hidden. When things are in the blockchain, it can be easily audited by anyone. So I believe uh, there's a transparency also that's going to be in this so-called new world of exchange where all these countries can then also see who's buying what commodities with with what they have. Um, so if you're visualizing it, I'm using a, a product here, Kinesis. It's a graphic I've had for the last couple of years. So I'm going to use that here, but it can be load. It can be cash. It can, can, can be glint, um, tax gold. There's a lot of different ones out there. Um, but the concept here is you're marrying the crypto ledger stuff with the physical properties of the gold and silver. So I call this the better mousetrap, uh, where you're essentially using the blockchain for title. Okay. Where traditional crypto, you're basically speculating on the value of this token. Um, and, and we saw these, these things go up a thousand X, but there's no real utility in them. It's just wild speculation. The concept is, and this is where it stands everything on its head. With the asset-backed digital currencies, you're buying the underlying asset. The token is the title to the asset. So there is no way of this thing going 1,000x unless the underlying asset goes 1,000x. So right. it is a, is a so-called stable coin, if you will. Um, so and the big picture with this is that let's just say for argument's sake, you own an ounce of gold on the blockchain. Well, you can spend this in fractions and fractions and fractions of a gram. So you can go buy a loaf of bread with your gold in, in a vault somewhere. Yeah. So visually, I called uh, a lot of these uh, non-asset backed cryptos, I call them empty parking spaces. And mm -hmm. for anybody that's worked in IT, you think of memory, you think of a hard drive, you think of um, blocks uh, where there's nothing at. And what you're doing with uh, something like, you know, one of these products are you're putting an asset a title of an asset on this blockchain. Now, obviously you need to have these things audited and certain products, you can redeem the metals, certain products you can't and others are kind of unknown, but all these different products that are out there have different drawbacks. They have different risks. Um, they have different benefits. Um, and, and with that, it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of different problems it solves. I'm not going to go into all these here. Uh, people can pause it and, and read it, but there's a lot of cool things you can do with this the big picture is you can spend your gold and spend your silver in fractions upon fractions upon fractions of a gram. Um, and you can do it at point of sale. So you can store all of your financial energy. Remember, I, I showed the graphic above where if you stored it in currency, it would depreciate in, over time. And that right. time is now going to be depreciating a lot further, a lot faster because of all the debt. Well, if you can store all this financial energy in, in an, into like gold and silver, and then only at the point of sale, convert it to fiat just for that moment in order to buy a product in pretty much any currency you need. That's pretty much the better mousetrap to me. I don't need to hold my money in a bank. And think about what's happened recently. Let's just say you, for argument's sake, you got 500000 in a bank, okay? Now that's above the $250,000 threshold for the FDIC. And what happens one day if your bank goes belly up? You lose $250,000. So you're thinking right now, I got to take this money out. Well, what do I do with it? Well, what? Now I got to put it in one of the bigger banks or I put it in another bank. Now all of a sudden I got all these different bank accounts and you're still running in the same problem of banking risk. 
So I can tell you, I think a lot of people want to get out of these systems where you now have banking risks with bail-ins, possibly. Now, FDIC, you know, there's a, what is it, 100 and... 117 billion or so in the FDIC fund to somehow that it's 170 billion, I think, to somehow backstop 17 trillion in deposits. Now, how is that going to work out? So a lot of losses. <laughs> yeah. So I believe that there's a lot of problems with with the the banks uh, coming up, um, but I believe also with these uh, these these gold backed digital currencies, if you will. Um, I think there's going to be a commercial versus a private side of things. I think you're going to have a situation where, you know, you're going to have these bricks plus exchanges down the road where people are exchanging things for gold. And then you'll have on the COMEX, people are exchanging things for U.S. dollars. And some of these suppliers are going to be like, look, I don't want that worthless U.S. dollar. I want to go sell my stuff where I can get gold for it. And then when I hold that gold, I can convert it into any currency I want immediately. So I believe that is where it's going on the exchanges. And I believe a lot of people like myself are going to be like, hey, I want to get in on this now because maybe someday, you know, a couple of years down the road, you know, I'm buying something on uh, on uh, on Amazon and the shipper is coming from China. They don't want my U.S. dollars, but they'll take gold. So I believe there's going to be a level here where you're going to have your Visa, MasterCard, whatever, and then you're going to have your gold backed digital product, whatever it is, that can be used for international currency. Think about that for a second. You know, if you're if you're selling if you're a shop in China, you don't want US dollars anymore. You know, maybe your government doesn't even want you to take US dollars in anymore. So yeah. there's a situation there where um you can be uh you, you can probably think of it in a situation where um I believe a lot of people are going to start taking gold uh and this isn't going to be in the next two or three years, but Moving down the road, I think gold is going to be how a lot of these people are going to want to get paid. So big picture here. Um, let's see. Skating to where the puck is going. And I'm going to kind of wrap up the uh, the slideshow with that. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, threw, I, I just threw a million things at you. I know I gave you this beforehand. Do you have any questions yeah. on that? No. I, I And so after having saw the presentation, I see how it plays into your strategy of the different layers. And so, like, you know, not want to put all your eggs in one basket, but taking advantage of opportunity as it presents itself. And definitely the tokenization of gold and the categories in which you listed it, it makes sense completely because it's it's in alignment with the transition we're we're making into a digital world, but then also being able to link something real into that world should give people comfort. So depending on your strategy, whatever, that's where it's up to each individual, but, you know, having some different layers where you have some in your possession, you have some here, have some, you know, so that definitely plays in. So let's dive in a little bit too more. So you mentioned about giving us some of the layers. So just for that being one layer, I'm sure share with us some other opportunities as far as layers that a person can consider as a part of their strategy. So the first one, the core one is physical that I talk about. And I mean, everyone knows this by now, but there's always every single day, a lot of new people that are coming on listening to content like this. So uh, you tell people to start with physical, but that's easier said than done sometimes, because if you're looking at $15 premiums on silver, you know, it makes sense to, Hey, maybe I shouldn't buy some physical right now, but everyone is, is told, Hey, let's get some, let's get some physical in our possession. But depending on your living situation, you're very much limited by how much you can have with that. Mm -hmm. You know, you, <laughs> you're not going to be buying these thousand ounce bars to sit around your house at all. Because think about if there's an emergency, and you got to get out real quick, fire, mm -hmm. 
you know, riots, whatever it is, you got to get out. You're not lugging these thousand pound bricks around with right. you. Right. So the first one is, is the physical. Um, and then there's, you have traditional vaulting services, things like that. And you can call it those guys and their, their reputations are based on this. But the problem that I have with, with a lot of those things is you got to buy into their system. Uh, it, the, the vault may be, you know, halfway across the country. You may never, ever get to see your medals. And then if an emergency happens, you know, what guarantee do you have? You're ever going to get that back. Right. So it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean that it's a zero, it's a zero risk of, of, of default. It, right. it, it, it may never happen. Okay. Right. But um, there's levels of risk with all of these things. Then you're talking about uh, what else do I got? The mining stocks. There's like so many different types of miners you can have for the newbies out there. You can do something like a GDX uh, for the major miners and just sit back and just let it, let it cook for a while. But miners run into issues because if there's high levels of inflation, their margins go terrible. Mm -hmm. So this past year in 2022, you know, gold was flat for the year, but my, 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 my portfolio was down 20% because mm -hmm. I was dealing with a lot of miners that got killed uh, for profits. But, you know, we're in a situation now where the, the prices are going to start going vertical with metals. And with that, mm -hmm. you're going to start having much healthier margins. So I, I have a lot of miners. <laughs> so that's that's my my fun my fun thing. I just recently started with with futures with Comex futures. I do the micros. Uh, I play with them occasionally. Just recently, like if you bought a whole bunch of miners and you think, oh my god, right now metals have gone up. They've gone up. They're going to pull back a little bit. I don't want to sell all of my miners mm -hmm. just because I know things are going to pull back ten percent. I might just then you know short uh, micro futures. And then I make money on the way down of this. And then when I when 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 I feel it's done, I, I close that out and I buy more miners. So there's ways to do that. Um, also, like I said, there are um, the solutions like the the um, the the gold silver backed uh, tokens. So mm -hmm. for me right now, that's kind of where I'm gravitating towards because a lot of these a lot of these types of things can you don't have any vault costs. So unlike a traditional vaulting where you may have a, a, a nominal fee for, for vaulting with these types of situations, um, you don't have any cost to vault. So I can start adding and stacking ounces there. Um, now, and then, now, out of curiosity, like with yeah. the cost, so like someone storing something for you, they have costs to do that. So how, I mean, just out of curiosity, I'm Absolutely. not familiar with how, how do you avoid, how do they avoid or, or oh, what yeah. else so, service they so, add on top of that to make revenue? Okay, so there's a couple of different ways that this happens. One of them is monetary metals does this. This isn't a crypto back solution, but monetary metals, you buy gold, but then they turn around and lease out your gold. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's the revenue that comes in that pays for all that stuff. Okay, mm -hmm. now forgive me on the fringes of, of, of their business model here, but that's how they, they lease out um, the gold. But you have other products like a Kinesis where when you buy into the system, there's a, a salami slice of a friction you buy in on. And then if you're going to spend some of it, there's a salami slice of, of a transaction. So all these transaction fees are millions of dollars and it pays for the vaulting a hundred times over. So the right. vaulting costs overall in the system are very nominal uh, compared to the size of the system. So um, with a system like that, um, you don't have a, a vaulting cost. You actually get a small yield. It's tiny. But the concept with it here is that um, I want to be able to store metals there more and more because I can then, with a lot of these products, I can use a form of debit card 
to then spend my gold and silver real time at the point of sale at the grocery store. Um, so I can buy my loaf of bread with the gold and silver I have in a vault. And again, it right. may exchange it at that point of sale to, to uh, US dollars immediately or one of a hundred, uh, you know, a bunch of other currencies they have. But again, if I if if I'm in a country and I have this money in this vault, uh, they have they have like 13, 14 vaults around the world. And if I want to, you know, if I'm in Argentina and I want to flee their high uh, high inflation and somebody's coming after me, I can leave instantly. My metals are still in the vaults. And I, whatever destination country I go into, I can spend my money right there. Mm-hmm. So there's some layers to this. And with those, uh, the the asset-backed digital currencies, I don't want to say that there's no risk involved with it. Now, the risk has been decreasing over the course of years, but you have risks uh, where there's a bunch of these different companies out there. So you don't know certain companies uh, with uh, regards to um, audits. I know some of them are much better than others. Some of them tell you we don't audit at all. Some of them say you can redeem your metals. Others say you can't redeem your metals. Uh, what is that about? So there are different risks with these different products, but I think in the next few years, it's going to be like a Visa, MasterCard, Amex, and Discover for all of these different products. There's just going to be product differentiation amongst them. So right. it's going to, but not only that, you're also talking, remember I talked about like uh, some of the issues with the cryptos before with possible issues with regulations. Um, when a lot of these things were invented, there were no regulations for this. So a lot of these companies acted in good faith uh, the best they could because there were no laws in the books. Now they're coming through and they're smacking people down with these things. And they're lumping a lot of these types of weird, bad cryptocurrencies along with the ones that have real title to things. So I think over the course of time, a lot of those, um, uh, a lot of the cryptos without any kind of asset backing are going to die out. They're going to get killed. And those that actually have real utility of backing it to some sort of real asset that's audited, that go through their new regulatory uh, requirements, I think they're going to come out of this really good and really strong. It's very early to tell because we don't know how each you know nation is going to act to to these things. But um, you can tell if a country is very belligerent to it, well, they just they're operating in another 60, 70, 80 countries. They don't need mm-hmm. need to operate in your country. Mm-hmm. So um, I believe. Five, 10 years down the road, this is going to be, everyone's going to be using these in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. How we get there could be really bumpy. So right. hope it's right. not, but that's why I only, I limit the amount that I put in, in this and, and, and in the fuller video I did, I talked about limiting your risk in each right. one of these. So right. don't go out tomorrow and go into a, a cash or a load with all of your money. And then two weeks later, they, you know, some sort of regulatory body comes out and you know, wax them down. So right. yeah, be careful with uh, with that, everyone. Right. Well, Nate, you laid out a great case for this particular layer out of your overall strategy that you that a person can, you know, assess and utilize for their own well-being. And so of course everyone's situation is different. But then again, having a little bit of exposure to some of these different things can better diversify you in a world of uncertainty. But yet if it's all pointing towards the same direction as far as metals, gold and silver in particular, as the currencies die out, the the metals and as, as the economic energy will, will be absorbed into the metals as they continue to increase, nominally speaking. And so you'll be on the winning side in that regard there. But yeah, one of my biggest concerns is always risk, you know, trying to eliminate as many third parties in between me and my economic energy that I work hard for, whatever, in whatever form. And so that's why I just tell people definitely do your education, make sure you're aware and prepare for whatever could occur because you never know. But were you going to say something? 
Yeah, just with that, um, you know, everyone has unique, uh, unique setup for what they have. Okay. Now I mentioned earlier on, I do real estate investing. Um, I have, I'm a mom and mom and mom, pop shop owner, if you will, of a, of a handful of, of units. So I did lose money in the gold and silver over the last two years. Okay. I did, mm -hmm. but I got that as a hedge against my real estate in case it went down. And mm -hmm. what people don't realize is that I gained six times more on my real estate than I lost on my metals going down. So the hedge worked for me because it was, uh, you know, protection against doomsday. We're now at that state where it's quite possible. We are now finally there. They kicked the can as much as they could. And now the real estate could start coming down. Commercial real estate starts to come down. And this is where I think my hedge is going to start picking up. So remember, you know, everyone has a different situation. So if you have a, a massive stock portfolio, you know, remember I mentioned there's three asset classes above. So, you know, if you think the stock market is going to tank, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you got to sell out all, out of all of it, um, but maybe divest some of it into different asset classes and, and, and try and protect yourself the best way you can. So, yeah, I, I, I don't ever want to lay out to someone, you need 5% this, 8% that, because then you start getting into those tricky uh, scenarios of financial uh, advisors and licenses and all that stuff. So, I don't want to know. I don't want any part of that. Yeah. Same <laughs> so, here. I'll stay away from that. Yeah, I just tell people, I'm just here. Advisor. I'm just here. I'm just here to give you what I consider to be monetary literacy. Once you understand what money is, it's not too hard to put together the pieces as to where you would like to be and what, what, what asset class you would like to be in more of rather than what you would probably want to avoid given the circumstances we're in. So, um, but Nate, uh, we're approaching an hour, man. So this is, you know, by far been a very detailed and juicy <laughs> back and forth discussion, uh, unlike my traditional interviews. But then again, it was well worth it because you laid out such uh, great details with your uh, presentation there. So I thank you for joining us on RT interviews and point people back to your direction where they can find out more and stay in tune with what you got going on. Well, I don't sell anything. I have a real, you know, nine to five job, if you will. So I, I do a lot of writing at renaissancemen.org. I do it for fun. I don't have any kind of uh, fee for anything. So take it as you will. If I have some, if I bang out one of these things real quick in two hours and I have some typos because my two-year-old's crying for me. So, so be it. Uh, I'm not a professional in, in this sense, but um, I write it to try and you know, I, I went through, I don't know, six years of grad school. So I want to try and educate the users as I'm reading things and learning things and getting excited about it. I want to share some of this that, that I'm learning with you. Um, paraphrase, you know, so even right. though I, I write ridiculously long blogs, but mm -hmm. that might be, you know, 20 hours of research I did to put into something that's, you know, a couple pages long. So uh, I hope some people find, uh, you know, entertainment with it and, and learn a little bit along the way. That was good. Once again, Nate, thank you for joining us. Definitely looking forward to having you on. Hopefully sometime before the end of this year, as all this Absolutely. stuff unwinds and we got more clarity as to what's really going on and get your thoughts. And of course, I, you know, check out your reading often. So I appreciate you for doing what you know what you do. And uh, once again, thank you for joining me on RTD interviews and definitely look forward to connecting with you sometime in the near future. Thank you.